0: Illustrious King Julian, self-proclaimed Lord
1: of the Lemurs, et cetera, et cetera. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the King Julian Podcast. I am again your host, King Julian, as always. Um, today, we're gonna I'm gonna speak to basically one of my co-hosts of one of my podcasts that I have already he's a really good dear friend of mine and somebody I hold their movie reviews and their movie comments very dear to my heart uh, without further ado my guest here today is Johnny Lightfoot Johnny how are you doing today
0: I'm doing well sir how are you
1: I'm doing good I can't complain I can't complain it's just, just been a little gloomy for the last couple of days and yeah just just getting there so um Long story short, guys, if you don't follow us on our movie podcast, Matinee Talk, basically Johnny and I sit and talk about movies. We basically discuss all the movies that have been released. We review them, kind of give our outtakes. And sometimes during the awards season, like Oscar season, we talk about, you know, who we think will make it to the Oscars, who will win the Oscars and stuff like that. But I don't know if we're going to do that this year. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But today it's going to be more about Johnny and – basically his roots of where he and why his passion of film came about so um let's start there johnny like i want to ask you because i can tell you like my first movie i've ever watched was godzilla and mulan in 1998 when the when we had a dollar theater in beaumont so like do you have recollection of your very first movie you ever watched in theaters
0: oh man the first one that i remember was probably the first teenage mutant ninja turtles movie
1: Oh, wow. uh, back in okay. back in
0: 89 so that that was definitely the first one that i can recall in theaters i i know my parents took me to a few others but that was definitely the first one that i can remember and can remember like going home from and like oh man that was awesome my my parents actually weren't and still aren't really that big of like movie people they are really they're more. Yeah. They're more into TV. They, they're, neither of them are, are like fans of like a series or a genre film or anything. Um, when I was younger, my mom did have an affinity for like true crime. So <laughs> I did watch a lot of horror films that I probably shouldn't have with my mom at a really young age uh, with the expectation of like, you understand this is fake that sort of thing so we never watched anything involving like you know anything realistic so it was always like jason freddy michael myers and it was always okay these are fake or stuff with werewolves and vampires and like supernatural type stuff it never involved anything like you know we've discussed like home invasions or anything like that so it was always something where she could talk to me about it before and after and be like yeah this is you understand this is fake. So those are really my like movie watching experiences with my mom. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, it, it was always, you know, I watched cartoons like any other kid, you know, He-Man, Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters. Uh, I want to say I probably watched the real Ghostbusters cartoon before I had ever even seen the the movie. The
1: movie? Really? Okay. Yeah,
0: because it there was a cartoon that was on TV, you know, when I was really little i was like four or so five and so i was really into the ghostbusters cartoon and it wasn't until it was actually my my like love of movies in general actually came from my grandmother on my my dad's side
1: okay really okay that's interesting so let me just i was gonna say for me like same concept my mom was this rom-com kind of woman and she loved her rom-coms and for some reason. She's the reason why we got into Disney movies when I was very young. So I will definitely congrat like act, like congratulate my mom on putting me on that bandwagon in the 90s when the Disney Renaissance was going on. But my dad never really watched anything but like action movies. So all of my action movies, all of the like, l- like mm, I would say early to mid 90s action movies that I we used to watch, like uh Bad Boys, um Like, the last Lethal Weapon and I think the last Beverly Hills Cop was movies that I kind of wasn't supposed to watch, but I kind of was seeing glimpses here and there. And And it's funny that you say that your mom was able to let you watch horror movies because even until I was, like, 16, I couldn't watch or ask my mom to go watch a horror movie. I'd always have to sneak in and go watch it. And I always was so upset with my cousins because they can go and watch Freddy vs. Jason or um, the Saw movies when I was like nine or ten years old and I'm mad because I can't go watch them but you know when it came on HBO when we had premium cable when it finally came to us I was able to watch them and I was like why can't I watch this I get it's fake I just want to watch it you know and it's interesting enough that your love for movies came from your grandmother and like I guess my question would be what kind of started that that plane for you. What kind of started that movie where you're like, wow, this is my passion. This is something that I enjoyed watching and I want to be a part of it some way shape or form.
0: So, yeah, this was definitely my grandmother on my my dad's side. Um cuz on my mom's side, she came from Korea and she definitely was not into American movies at all. She watched okay. Korean soap dramas and then she was really into like WWF That was like her only like TV (laughs) watching. She really got into that. But my grandmother on my father's side, I used to spend a lot of time with her growing up. I would stay with her in Arizona in the summers. And we would always go to the movies. Like that was a big thing. And I would be in summer camp there in Phoenix. And they would always have like movie days where we'd go to the theaters. But it was actually at her house where she had this big VHS collection. And she had all of like, the blockbusters for you know the past like 20, 30 years, so okay. that was where you know that was where I first watched the original trilogy of Star Wars was on VHS. There, all of the Indiana Jones VHS. There, the Jaws movies, uh, all of the the big action uh, blockbuster type movies or franchises I watched there, and, and even you know like E.T all of those type of movies i watched there at my grandma's and then once she realized i was really into it and i was like wearing out her vhs she started taking me we started going to like blockbuster like every other day and renting more videos basically i would just browse the aisles and she would just let me rent whatever i wanted. You wanted yeah uh and that was where i you know that was where it all started and from there uh you know, eventually grew into a love of going to the movies. Like before then, usually it was like, like summer camp and things like that. And it mm-hmm. was always like whatever the Disney animated movie was, uh, stuff like that. But then it wasn't until probably 92, 93, I remember some of my cousins uh snuck me into Terminator 2 in <sighs> theater. That was my first Damn. rated R movie in a theater. Wow. And okay. then uh, my first experience in a theater where I was like, this is where movies are meant to be seen was in summer of 93. My my grandma took me to see Jurassic Park in theaters in Phoenix. And I just remember after that, like, I was like, man, that is such a different experience. Because before then, I mean, Terminator 2, I was probably too young to really comprehend. And I hadn't seen the first one. I was mainly going because they were stuck babysitting me. And so they were like, okay. And so like they had to pretend they were just buying another ticket and then they yeah. just took me in. Uh, and most of the time I, I remember like not really paying attention that much, like except for like some of the scenes with Arnold. Cause I really liked Conan as a kid. So that was my experience with Arnold Schwarzenegger as a kid was Conan because Conan. he was okay. like, he man. <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, Jurassic park. That was where I was like, that's a different experience. Like I have to see, all the movies in the theater like that that's so much different than at home. And, you know, you think back to the, the early nineties, I mean, everybody had like 24 to 32 inch tube TVs. Like that was the average. Yes. I mean, and you had like one mono speaker on the side of the TV, but my grandma, because she was a big movie person, uh, her and her husband had one of those giant DLP TVs, that took up like a whole a corner whole of the corner living. Of the house, yes. And had like furniture built around it and like the mm-hmm. speakers were built in and it got loud. And I just, yeah, that's where I watched my movies. And that's why when I would go home, like watching movies wasn't the same as watching movies at grandma's. <laughs> and it definitely wasn't the same as watching movies at the theater. And so that was where it, it all started. And uh, you know, my my uncle who I never met, was apparently the same way. And that's who I was named after. And uh, apparently he was huge Star Wars fan, even though my my dad, who was his older brother, was not. But he was really into movies and Star Wars and science fiction and action. And uh, once my grandma found out like I was also into that, she was just like, oh, this is like another way to kind of relive those experiences. But now with my grandson instead of my son, and, uh, we had a lot of fun with that. And she really kind of, uh, urged me into that. Whereas my parents were more about like, you need to focus on school and sports, you know, quit lollygagging on watching all these movies over and over, like all these VHS tapes over and over, over and, again. Over, yes. And my grandma would always make sure to like reinforce, like, Nope, you do what you love. Like you, you love watching movies and playing with action figures. Your mom's trying to make you outgrow, you know. Playing with action figures and she's trying to get you to do like model kits and stuff so basically when i would go stay at the summer there my grandma she would make sure to buy me as many toys and action figures as possible just to like make my mom mad and just be like (laughs) he's he's eight years older he's nine years old he's not too old to play with toys
1: see i wish i wish i had had a grandmother like yours um so long story short, my mom, she was the reason why I really, really dug deep into movies. And we're gonna I'm gonna expand on yours a little bit in a moment, Johnny. But what's funny is um you say Jurassic Park was that movie where you were like, Wow, this is a movie theater experience for me. And I I I guess I'm showing my age now because we're about 10 years apart from each other. My first movie that I was just like, Yes, this is the movie that I wanna watch was Spider-Man. Spider-Man 2002, Tobey Maguire with um, Sam Raimi as the director. That was my very first movie where, like, my mom took us right after we got out of school. It was a Friday. It was early um, early release at the end of the year. It took us to go watch it. And in the second grade, watching that and just being totally into the moment, listening to all the bling and the flash and just seeing Spider-Man... Like, doing all of that, I was just like, wow, this is what a movie should feel like, and being into that moment. And I would say since then, every summer, my mom, after the end of the year, would take us to go see a movie. So I can tell you, like, the next year was Daredevil, which my mom regrets bringing me to go watch because she really did not like the violence of the movie. Um, And we went to go see, you know, the final Star Wars film in episode three. You know, we went to go see... X-Men, The Last Stand, and I could see, remember watching all these movies in the theaters and just being like, none of them compared, except for Star Wars episode three at the time, compared to me watching Spider-Man for the very first time in the movie theater. And it's funny that you say that because my grandmother was a mixture of both. When we were kids, when we were like seven, eight or nine, until about 2005, 2006, my grandmother did not let us go to Blockbuster. She made us go to the library, go for about an hour pick, uh, pick, uh books out, check them out and like had to read them by the end of the week. So all we had to do was go buy next week and go get more books. And it wasn't until we started sneaking in our playstations to her house and playing them. She was just like, all right, you know what? Y'all going to do whatever you want. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just taking to blockbuster, let you run out a couple of movies and do that. And that became same thing like you, our summer's pastime besides doing like chores around a uh, grandmother's house and doing chores around my dad's businesses we we would sit there and basically have those momentums like you said we had the my grandmother had a like a I want to say like a 60 inch DLP a Mitsubishi uh, DLP that had all those big speakers and she had to decorate around that and then my mom got her a pla- got my herself a plasma back in 2006 so it was like I'm getting something out of it but nothing beat it the idea of going to the movies and seeing anything on the big screen. And that's where I guess my love of going to the theater came from. And I love that that's kind of almost the exact same thing that you've done. And it's funny that, you know, I guess for me, the biggest thing was for you was Star Wars and Steven Spielberg jumping you into the catapult of movies. Whereas I would say most of people around my age, like us millennials, we kind of, catapulted with the superhero drama and jumping in when the superhero drama boomed to the point where it's literally like almost every year now we're getting five or six superhero movies now you know and it's kind of interesting to see how just literally 10 years the shift of the dynamic of movies have come to play so I was going to ask you I don't know if your grandmother's done this for you but I know for sure for us we didn't do this with my grandmother I had to do this in high school were did you watch any like independent films that was from the 80s 90s or even 2000s with your grandmother did you watch any of those or was it just like huge blockbuster movies
0: yeah no it was definitely blockbusters it was it was the action it was is it steven spielberg but you know there were you know some famous movies out there that she also had like godfather godfather part two okay godfather 3 unfortunately (laughs) and so yeah i mean it wasn't just the big blockbusters but that was kind of my that was my gateway and then it was just us browsing blockbusters and then sometimes she will have seen movies that i would bring her the case and be like i want this one sometimes she would see them. sometimes she would have to go back and like read the the cover and like figure out what it was about yeah um see if she was going to get in trouble for letting me see it things like that and uh you know i mean even going into you know preteen and teenage years because uh, you mentioned spider-man and that was one i saw i was probably i guess i was a junior yeah it would have happened towards the end of my junior year in high school and me and friends going and seeing that and i mean dating back to middle school that was when me and my friends it was like that was the thing you did going into the weekend or at least whether my friends wanted to or not, that was something I was doing was I was yes. checking the newspaper and I was going through the different times on the newspaper. Wow. And then okay. I was either checking the newspaper and then I was calling the theater because you would call the theater and then the little automated message would tell you what's playing and what's at playing at what, time. what times. Yes, And then so that I would do the call and then check the newspapers and then that's when i would like start circling and highlighting and like ripping out pages and being like all right guys this is what we need to go see we need to go like make plans for saturday at this time and then we can spend the night at one of our houses we'll just see whose whose parents are okay with that and then we'll figure out rides and situations later and i mean even dating back to like the first and i wouldn't even call it real like date date but I was probably in like seventh grade and like met with a girl and my dad drove me to meet with a girl at a movie theater to watch a movie <laughs> and I mean that just kind of you know snowballed into uh, I feel like any time I've ever like dated anybody for any exter- extended period of time regardless one of the first dates is going to be some type of movie and I'm going to gauge what to you know, is this For somebody taste, I could yes. deal with because if you can't sit through a movie or you're going to talk or you're, gonna, <laughs> you're not going to pay attention to the movie and you're not going to want to talk about it afterwards, yeah, this probably isn't going past the first or second date.
1: Oh, that is actually funny. And My that fir- started
0: really early. Like I'm saying like seventh grade and I was like, oh man, this isn't good because <laughs> you know. I feel like I was probably doing letterbox before there was letterbox because throughout middle school, high school, and even college, I kept every ticket stub I ever got. That way I could refer back to what date I saw it, it, what I saw it, and it would remind me of who I saw it with. And this was, yeah, this is from like age, I don't know, 12, till I was probably, oh gosh, because I was even keeping Alamo tickets until probably like, Two thousand nine or two thousand ten. So, I mean, this was a long time. This was probably like fifteen years that I was keeping movie stubs in a shoebox, and would just go back to them and uh, yeah, remember so me- where I was, what the day was, who I was with. I can go back and I, I, all of all of movies basically revolve around certain memories about people, yes, dates. I can be like, oh, this year around that time this is what I was into. This is what I was doing outside of movies, but I can refer to those memories based on a movie ticket.
1: And you know, what's so crazy to me. And this is, I think this is why you and I work so well on matinee talk is because for about two or three years in high school, it was in high school. I I tried to start doing it. I started just picking up tickets. And basically every time I go to a ticket, I would pick them up and put them in a shoebox. But until Hurricane... Hurricane Rita back in I'm not Hurricane Rita uh, Hurricane Ike in 2009 when she destroyed when it destroyed all of my ticket stubs I gave up on it. And what's so funny to me? You say that and like I was I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, you know, most of the time that I can remember years of movies is because of the experiences or what was going on around the movie. Like for instance, and you're bringing this up now, and it goes back to my charter in 2003 when Finding Nemo came out. That same weekend, Rugrats Gone Wild came out that exact same time. And my brothers went to go see Fighting Nemo, of course. I wanted to be the one to go watch Rugrats Go Wild because I was a huge fan of Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries. And I even remember going to um, Burger King and picking up the little smelling cards that you get at the time. You pick that up, scratch it off, and while the movie is going, they'll put a little sign where you watch the movie and you smell whatever is going on. Like, that's how I've always thought of movies and which I was going to bring up to my next thing. is like, even my first ever. And I mean, when it was actually midnight release movies, Johnny, you can say this as well. Mm -hmm. Like my first ever real midnight release movie where I had to go and be at the theater at 12 o'clock to go watch the movie was the dark Knight. That was the very first one. Uh, Back in 2008, when I was 14, my mom finally let me go because she knew how much of a Batman fan I was. And like, What's crazy is, I don't know how you dealt with trailers, but for me, when I was a kid, you know, IGN or the website, the official website would be like, trailers coming in this amount of days. So you would sit there and anticipate for that trailer to come out on YouTube or on the website. And when it came out, I don't know how many times I watched the uh, first official trailer of The Dark Knight, but I've seen it so many times that my mom was like, yeah, you can go watch The Midnight Release that summer. And I remember in 2008, just After graduating eighth grade of high school, going in—I mean, eighth grade middle school, going into high school—I'm going with my cousin and staying out to like four o'clock in the morning, just talking to people about the Dark Knight and watching it like three more times that weekend, you know, and like it was—it's funny that you and I both deal with films in a way of like how our memories and how our emotions reflect on that. So to that point, though, let me ask that. Do you remember your first midnight release movie, like the first movie, where it's not like how it is now, where you can watch it at 7 o'clock on a Thursday evening, but like your official, like, I I got to be at the theater at midnight to go watch this movie.
0: Oh, man. Uh, first midnight release. Because, yeah, I didn't really start doing that until, yeah, probably like the Star Wars movies, the oh, prequels. Wow. Okay. And, Ooh, okay. I, I mean, I even remember... So, and this was, you know, pre, you know, n- YouTube and, and internet dropping trailers. Uh, we went, we actually went to see meet Joe black because that's when the star Wars <gasps> episode one trailer, trailer was going to drop. Wow! So okay. I had no interest in watching meet Joe black. <laughs> I just wanted to see the trailer for the new star Wars movie. And I had seen the special editions in theaters. And then also with, uh, with the dark night i went and saw i am legend on like opening night because i wanted to see the dark night trailer and because okay. it was going to be dropping then before it hit online so this was you know 2008 so there were well probably 2007 was when the trailer dropped december 2007 yeah because that's when it, uh, i am legend came out yeah but basically if you went and saw i am legend you were gonna see the trailer before it hit the internet, so I had to go see I Am Legend, and then come to find out, oh, if you go see I Am Legend in IMAX, then you're gonna see the prologue the first to the Dark Night. God. Uh, and I did the same thing with uh, Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol for Dark Knight Rises. Went and saw Mission Impossible at IMAX, so I could see the Dark Knight Rises prologue. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, trailers were a big thing, and. Yeah, you, you buy a ticket to a movie just to see the trailer because you know back then you had our internet sucked and you didn't really have video. You could go online for like MapQuest and <laughs> AOL Instant Messenger. Uh, if if you were lucky, maybe you could go online and like find some like game facts to help you through a video game. But that was Thank like the majority you. of that was like the majority of our internet usage in like the late nineties early 2000s and then once i started college i used the internet a little bit but it was mostly to like check espn scores things like that
1: Uh, see but yeah see that's so crazy to me and like again i try to get my cousins to understand this my younger cousins who are like in their teenage years like i thought i was the only one who thought about that so for me like i had to sit there and wait for aol to load up for us to go and watch the video trailer right and Yes, I watched it 17 times and I got in trouble because I used up all the internet that day. But, like, that was a thing. And, like you were saying, I remember, you know, you had to – like, we didn't have enough money to go just keep going to movie theaters all the time. So, you know, I didn't know about, like, you know, you go watch Iron and you would get to see the trailer the Dark Knight. All I saw was, like, I've been – and this is just saying how old I am. I've been since the beginning of IGN – not beginning, but, like, when IGN was like at its 10 to 15 year anniversary, like back in 2007, 2008, they were like giving blog posts about like, oh, here's set photos of what Heath Ledger looks like in a Joker costume. Here's what Christian Bale might look like in a new Batman suit. And I remember from then I was like, wow, this is pretty damn dope. And they told us, you know, again, like for Spider-Man 3's trailer for when they did the whole Venom suit, that you would have to, say, hey, at seven o'clock on this day, on some random ass day in the middle of the week, this is the drop of the trailer. And like you were saying, I, you would have to sit there and waste minutes and data that your parents did not want you to waste to go and sit there and watch it. And it was so funny to me that you say that. And once I started catching on about 2009, 2010, that you had to go watch certain movies to go see certain trailers, and I was able to work on my own because I was 16. Yeah, I was 16 at the time. And I was able to do that. That's when I started being able to be like, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait to stop wasting my parents' internet because I'm tired of getting an $80 bill for something that I can't afford. I'm going to go watch the movie for $5 at the time and watch it then. And it's so funny that that's how both of our experiences were, but yours was a little bit more a little bit older where you couldn't even be able to get on the internet in the nineties. But like, for me, late nineties, early two thousands, literally was like, okay, you got about an hour to be on the internet. You better use your hour as much as you can. If not, you got to pay for it, which again, just shows our age and how much, even though it changes just a little bit, how it basically coincides with each other. So let me ask
0: you. So you even would have, so on MTV during like, God, what's his name? Carson, that full Carson Daily.
1: Yes, Carson Daily. Yes,
0: and so they would even drop like trailers on on there, on like the top ten yes. and everything. So I would get the VHS player ready, and I'd be like, "All right, it they're recorded. gonna drop a trailer," yes. and I would record the trailer <laughs> so I could go back and watch the trailers over again and see like if I could pick out certain things, and or if it was gonna be like a music video for a song, song. that's gonna be in a movie. Yes. So like. One that comes to mind is like Puff Daddy and Jimmy Page for Come With Me. For with Me, God, Godzilla, yes. Godzilla. And I just remember recording that music video. <laughs> it was such a bad movie too. And I saw it with my brother in theaters. My dad dropped us off. And uh yeah, and the Duel of the Fates music video. Like I recorded that off of the the MTV, like the Carson Daly show or whatever it was called.
1: Uh, yeah, it, TRL. Was so, it, was, it was TRL it was the same it's basically what it used to be where TRL would do all of the top tens and then like in the middle of it they would talk about something and then show you a clip of the movie to get you ready for on a music video to get you ready for the movie that's coming out that summer and one thing that I was going to say too even adding on top of that um, DVR wasn't even a thing yet but if you remember HBO back in the day used to do like these behind the scenes kind of things. It would be like a whole 15 minute segment of behind the scenes Mm -hmm. footage of what's going to happen in the film that's coming out this summer. And I remember for Spider-Man two, again, for the dark Knight, they'll do those like 10 minute teaser of something and then give you a huge full trailer at the end of it, or give you a sneak peek of a scene that like most people won't be able to see until the movie comes out. And I just, I don't know, like it just, it made my idea of looking in movies so much better. And it just, my passion for movies came from that and i would say one thing is being a nerd i don't know if you did this when the official dvds like the special edition dvds not just the standard ones because back then the standard ones you wouldn't get any other bonus content you wouldn't get any documentaries or behind the scenes you had to buy the like uh special edition of all the dvds i remember buying spider-man 2 special edition and just listening to all the backlog of what sam ram did or sam Rami did for Dr. Octopus and what he was looking at for the comic book references for Peter Parker losing his powers and saying he's Spider Man no more. And, you know, I felt like I was one with them, if that makes sense. And I've always loved the idea of being behind the scenes and being in the world of film. So let me ask you that too. What movies you saw in the D, or what movies did you have as a DVD collection where you started? Looking behind the scenes and being like, "This is something that I want to invest in, and I want to basically make it potentially my career path moving forward."
0: So, I mean, the the first movie I ever owned that I remember that wasn't just like, "This is part of the family's collection," but one that like I got as yours, yours, yeah, was Batman '89 on VHS.
1: Okay. okay. But
0: it, and then once DVDs came out, you know, towards the late '90s. It was uh, the first Matrix movies. And this was before they started doing like your regular DVD and then a special edition. When they first started, it was like a big selling point was DVDs. You can fast forward through the previews and skip them. And you get all these special features like Matrix didn't have like two different releases of DVD. It was just here's Matrix on DVD. And then also... Uh, Reservoir Dogs, which I still have my original copy of Reservoir Dogs on DVD <laughs> that I got on uh, at Suncoast Video, and it came with you could get one of uh, many different slip covers. So you got like a Mr. Blonde slip cover, Mr. Pink, uh, Mr. Brown, Mr. White, and so I have a Mr. Blonde slip cover Reservoir Dogs that has all these special features. And what's crazy is even on the newer releases of these these movies from same directors, you know, like Quentin Tarantino. uh, And I would see even say like star Wars episode one, like when that DVD came out, it had hours and hours of special features on it. So like late nineties, early two thousands the, the, the Spider-Man movies, the X-Men movies, all of those DVDs. uh, I just poured into the special features and I loved the fact that they had commentaries where I could like learn, learn some more yes. stuff about and these behind the scene featurettes. And then I started getting mad once they started doing, yeah, like regular DVD, full screen, widescreen, and then special edition. And the special editions always cost like 5 to $8 more. Yes. But I mean, I was used to it because VHS is at Suncoast Video. It was, those were like $25. And then... They went down in price, and then DVDs were like $25, $30. And then you had the single-release DVDs that were like $19.99. $19. $19. The, yep. ed- the special editions were like $25, $30, and so I always had to get those. And then you had the HD DVD Blu-ray Wars. <laughs> and then then they started doing where you you could get the special edition blu-ray or the regular regular edition
1: yeah and
0: then they started doing if it was a movie that came out in 3d you had the regular the special or the special with 3d to where you would have like four discs and it would cost like 35 dollars. and i would always i would always get that one because at the time i had a 3d tv so yes i do still have some 3d blu-rays even though i have no way to watch them with (laughs) them (laughs) <laughs> uh but yeah i always got the whatever the deluxe edition of anything that i could get that had the most special features and the ones i wore out the most were the extended editions of the lord of the rings movies oh, i would ba- i would okay. buy the theatrical because the theatrical would come out about six months after the movie so the movie that would always come out in december theatrical would come out during the summer yes and so, my first, me- my fall semester of college, I would burn through that, all of the special features on the theatrical. And then the extended cuts would drop around like Thanksgiving time, right before the yeah, next one. Yeah, they came out during Thanksgiving. So, yeah. I would buy the, the big, thick one that was like the size of a book. And it would have <laughs> two discs for the movie because you had to watch it on two discs. Like halfway through the movie, it'd say put in disc two. And then would have two discs full of special features. And like each movie for those extended editions had like, 10 plus hours of special features so like in college like that's what I would do while I was studying was just listen to commentaries and and then watch featurettes and documentaries on the making of these movies and it's, it was it was amazing that was how I learned so much about the filmmakers about the actors about the process and that was that was part of my shift also from originally, I was a poli-sci pre-law major. Uh, like I like you were. Yeah. Uh, my whole distinguished achievement program for like graduating high school and like all of my essays and everything when I was applying to colleges, it was all about pre-law, law. Uh, my distinguished achievement in front of like the superintendent and everything was on medical malpractice. Like all of this stuff was all leading towards political science pre-law. And about two years into college, I was like, "Nope, nope." <laughs> I love, I love, I love movies. I love writing, and that was when I got into English and mass comm, started doing a lot of screenwriting. Uh, you know, did my hand at, at helping out with some short films before writing and, and directing my own. And that was when, after that experience, that was when I was like, you know what? This is one of those situations where. You never want to work at somewhere that you love.
1: Yes. Okay. And it,
0: it was that whole experience over the course of like a year between when I started my first draft on, on that film I eventually ended up shooting and, you know, finishing somewhat for the most part. And that's when I was like, you know what? I enjoy learning and watching and experiencing this. I don't love doing it. It makes me admire the people who who do this for a living and love it because i love playing with the stuff i love playing with the audio and the video and and learning about the process what i don't like is fighting with the dp and arguing (laughs) about placement and lighting and camera angles and fighting with editors about like I don't I don't like the casting process I don't I don't like that stuff and I understand like if if you work hard enough and you and you build yourself up you can get to where those other jobs are done by other people but it it makes me totally admire even more people like uh Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino who just go out there on a limb and are like I'm gonna do this I'm gonna finance it myself I'm just gonna pound the pavement and like make it work Um, cause I mean, that's what I, you know, as this this guy in the two thousands, like, I was like, yeah, that's going to be me. I'm going to be that I've got all these great ideas. I put them on paper and, uh, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be that guy who, who enjoys talking about it and experiencing movies, but I'm not going to be that guy. That's going to be miserable to try to make them. And I
1: think that's where I feel like you and I really became closer as friends besides just coworkers back about three years ago, cause we were talking about this. Cause um, long story short to your point, like um, I, I knew that I wanted to be in film when I was in high school and I watched The Godfather for the very first time. Um, I was in 10th grade and I saw The Godfather. And at that moment I said, this is some fantastic as piece of cinema. And I want to be able to make something like that. I want to be the next Francis Ford Coppola. And going into college, studying it, not realizing that, you know, through the BS and the political nonsense that I had to go through at UT, not being able to get in, but still doing the necessary things to get into the film program, making it my minor. And like you said, I made my own, I made a couple of short films, made and drafted a whole project for what I was gonna do. And going to LA, for University of Texas at Los Angeles for a semester and being behind the scenes and seeing what it looks like to literally throw yourself to the dogs and basically saying hey I want to make this movie and this is my passion project finance it or hey this is my uh, my project I need you to distribute it for me and seeing all the different nuances of that while making short films in LA was something that was an eye opener for me. Like I, m- many people would tell you my thing I wanted to do was be a director. Like I wanted to be a director, writer, producer, and basically be in a sense of a Tyler Perry, but for serious, like for darker, more dramatic films that basically revolves around our experiences. And I was sitting there after going the semester of LA and I'm like, this is cool. I love what's going I love the idea of it I love the all the cogs in the wheel to get you to it I don't think I'm the person that wants to sit there and fight back and forth with people about my passion project you know and being rubbing heads with people because they don't like the certain vision and I feel like the final nail in the coffin was when I came back I did a I did a short girlfriend not not just to say, hey, I wanted to do one, but he asked me, interviewed me, wanted me to do it. And after doing that passion project and realizing like, as a director, I had no space in the final cut and not having the certain things that I wanted inside of the short film, because I felt like there were certain angles that I wanted, there were certain edits that I liked was better. And going through the hassle of back and forth, I'm like, I'm gonna rip my head out. Like, The little hair that I had then, I was going to rip it all out because of how annoying and how frustrating I was getting. So I felt like the same with you. I love film. I love the behind the scenes. I love the passion behind it. And I see why people love it so much. But I don't know if at this particular point in my life, this is something that I want to make for my living. Like, I don't know or plan on having that as something that I would have as my drive where I love talking about movies like I've always been. Sure, but I don't think being a director, writer, or still maybe a writer, but I don't know if being a director or a producer is something that was in my viewpoint anymore if that makes sense.
0: No, definitely. I mean, even since then I've always spitballed and done, you know, you know spec scripts and things like that or Yeah. Or just kind of toyed with ideas and done storyboards and thought you know this is a really cool idea what if i did this and uh you know it, it always kind of said like oh man i have you know amazing ideas in my head but who doesn't have great ideas, great ideas. in their head yeah. it's it's a lot of it is just you know are, are you willing to struggle for however long and you know hope that you you know I'm I'm a patient person, but also I found my my love of of something that I had had for so long, kind of starting to fade quite a bit. You know, I wasn't going to the movies quite as much as I had been,
1: no.
0: um, because I was just worn out with the process, and it it was around that time like I was working part time, going to college, and. Uh, that was when I met Brett, who had just moved to Austin after uh, going to film school, at University of Iowa. And at that time, in like the late 2000s, so this was like, you know, 2007 to 2009. A lot of people were coming to Austin because we were we were an up and coming film community,
1: big booming independent film industry. Yeah, uh,
0: and they were given a lot of tax breaks to try to get studios to film stuff here and so it was like a lot of people were coming here trying to get into that uh brett and his roommate at the time were trying to get into that and that's how i met brett we were both working part-time at best buy because of the discount and <laughs> like that, that's it yeah, and discount. and you know that's when we got in with you know the the folks over at ain't it cool news and that's when we started going to screenings all the time early screenings and you know, I kind of refound my passion through that. And that was, that was actually even before I started filming that, that film. And then like I dropped off for a little while, and then got right back to it. Once I, I quit for a little while and, you know, we went through a good, I don't know, two or three stretch, two or three year stretch where we, you know, we didn't pay for any big movie because we were always in like a studio screening um, from ain't it cool or whoever just, getting us to see movies, you know, a month or two early, uh, giving us our thought, you know, giving them our thoughts about it. And uh, it was, it was a really cool time. And then, you know, starting to go to, to festivals at first, it was just a few films here and there. Cause I was like, there's no way I'm doing uh, four days straight, or I'm not doing eight days straight of movies. You know, that's, that's crazy talk. I'm not getting sick and doing all that. And then slowly like ramping up to, okay, like I can do a few more movies at this festival. Okay. And then finally being like, all right, I'm going to take the plunge, start doing full festival and realizing, man, I really dig it. You just got to learn how to prioritize times and films and you come out of it at the other end and you just, that's the, the week or two weeks, whatever festivals you go to that you look to the most and you look forward to is those festivals because you just get to see a bunch of stuff you wouldn't have seen and then also get a little taste of stuff that is bigger that's coming out and kind of give people on the outside looking in like hey this movie's coming out in like six months you need to look for it like it's coming out it's it's you gotta see it like that that kind of feeling and then the water cooler talk while you're at festivals Uh, which from people who've been at TIFF this year, that's something they've talked about missing is you come out of of a screening and you go hang out in the lobby or hang out in the patio and you're just chatting with people you don't know about what you just saw. And hey, next time this screens, like you need to go see this, giving each other recommendations. And that's one of the coolest thing about festivals is yeah, you have like your inside group of friends and you have similar tastes, but then sometimes it's nice to get an opinion from somebody from somewhere 2000 miles away or even further, what their opinion is on something that you didn't have on your radar, and then just being like, huh, yeah. yeah, that sounds cool. I need to check that out because none of my friends recommended it. So maybe I need to branch out and then finding stuff you like and then finding stuff you hate that, hey, it's cool to walk out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And really quick, before I ask my, my second to last question for you, Johnny, I was going to say, cause for me, I'm, I guess I'm still trying to get to the festival and by the time I push this out, this will be almost a full week of uh, fantastic fest virtually in 2020. And I'll probably have maybe a couple of movies under my belt from fantastic fest. Well, this will be my first one. Uh, fantastic Fest is this film, uh, film festival in Austin that goes around in the last week of September, early October. And they show a couple of different films, more of like the I would say psycho thriller horror genre-esque movies. And basically it's I would say it's a very auteur kind of film festival, and I love it. But I wish I would have went to two years ago when they did Halloween, but that's a whole different conversation. So I was gonna ask you because I still am yearning for a film festival experience and being around people, because my first experience of being around people who had a different perspective than I was, uh, was my freshman year. I'll never forget one of um, the people from UT sent me and took me to Frankenweenie. Uh, we were talking about this in the podcast, um, in our other podcast, took me to the very first um, like special screening of Frankenweenie, like three weeks before the movie came out and seeing many different college kids and even hearing from the producers from Tim Burton's Frankenweenie explain certain things and put different things in respective i just sat there and was like wow this is pretty cool and I've always wanted to go to a film festival and do that but I guess I was too worried like you were saying being all day of watching three films at a time and then going and doing that consecutively for an entire week and I think I'm going to jump that hurdle next year when everything dies down but I'm mentally trying to prepare myself to be that kind of person to be able to go to film festival and watch three or four movies at a time a day and talk about it with different people so I guess my second last question for you would be like Johnny for out of all the film festivals that you've been in do you have one experience that stands out of all of them that you were like this is the epitome of what I would love to have at every film festival that I've been to
0: oh man that's that's really tough because it's it's one of the coolest things about Fantastic Fest any year you go is it's not like most festivals where you have a bunch of pretentious people there who are just there to write reviews. They're not there to enjoy themselves and have fun because that's what Fantastic Fest is. And even those those early screenings I would go to for, for Ain't It Cool and learning how to ask questions during Q&As. Because that that is not something that comes naturally to ninety nine percent of people, uh, even press. Like I've been in so so many Q and As where, whether it's somebody who's not press or press, asks a question to the director or the actors, or the producers, whoever, and I'm just face palming my head like, really, we just wasted five minutes for that question, uh, and I've been that guy like i've been that guy uh and i just over time learned how to ask questions that are very relevant and that the directors or the actors the producers that they'll have fun with because what you want to do is give them a question that leaves them to basically expand on their answer and uh get excited. Like one of the coolest things is when you when you ask a director actor a question and they they get their their eyes light up and they get excited talking about what you just asked and then they just expand on and it becomes more than just oh I answered your question but I just went into this 10 minute long talk about my experience making a movie or my experience as a, as an adolescent or a a college student wanting to make movies and they just go into this whole other direction with the answer of their, of your question. And those, those are the coolest experiences at a festival. And uh, you know, I, I mean, I can't, I can't say enough good things about fantastic Fest. both the way they do their ticketing system, the way, you know, you have boarding groups uh, how everybody's just so laid back both the guests and the talent and you can tell the people who who've been there or at least have asked about like what are some do's and don'ts at fantastic fest because the coolest thing about fantastic fest is being able to walk over to talent or walk up to leonard malton and just have a conversation or it's ten thirty in the morning, and you're chilling in the theater, waiting for the your first movie of the day to start. And then Leonard Malton comes and sits next to you, and instead of being like, "Oh, oh my God, it's Leonard Malton, one of the most famous film critics of all time," instead it's just like, "Oh, hey Leonard, uh, what's your favorite film so far? Cool, cool. Like, what are you seeing today? Oh man, why didn't you like that? Like that sort of thing, or." so what are you about to order to eat like that kind of stuff like those are the type of conversations that are fun to have at fantastic fest it's not hey let me get a selfie or hey can you sign this for me it's oh snap there's keanu reeves what's up (laughs) or hey ryan johnson that's awesome and then they're just like hey um seeing us." That's,
1: I guess, the kind of feeling that I want to have again. I didn't have that kind of experience. My my biggest thing was when I was in UTLA. Um, I can, I think I can kind of say it. Um, I've met so many different actors and actresses just in a studio lot. And I'll never forget that one day, walking outside of the lot, like, I'm seeing Jordan Peele, you know, and being able to see him and, like, try to have a conversation and joke about, like, you know, coming from comedy to one of the biggest Black horror films that I've ever seen in my life or one of the most provocative thrillers that we've seen in the last decade and having that kind of conversation. Or for me, what I thought was so cool was going to the red carpet for 2016's The Accountant, what Gavin O'Callum with Ben Affleck and talking to J.K. Simmons. Or my favorite was like... Um, Going to Love, which is this uh, interracial film about the fr- like basically being bringing into law that interracial marriage is like not. I mean, it's constitutional. Sorry. And Colin Firth, and I wish I took a photo with Colin Firth and talked to him about it. I wish I really did, but him talking about his experiences of being in the film industry and how this specific project was the reason why he wanted to finance it and help with the money that he got from Kingsman to go into this. And just having those moments are something that I wish I can have at a film festival, but willing that will happen very soon. So I, I completely get what you mean. And that's something that, you know, most people, like, like you said, most people can't fathom or have a conversation with like some of the big star names, but being able to like be in that space and being able to talk to the people who makes movies and, um, seeing those names and talking to them and putting a name in their face and having a conversation with just things that I wish I could have again, you know? And on to that point, I was going to ask as like a final question for you, um, in terms of the movies that we have seen recently or, you know, the movies we've talked about, doesn't even have to be a movie we've talked about recently. Um, what was the last film that you've seen that you were like, wow, this is like, honestly the best thing that I've seen in a very long time. Um, For me, I would have to say, just to give a little icebreaker, was Parasite from last year. Um, Bong Joon-ho's, I call it one of his um, Magnum Opus films, because I just, the different things that Bong Joon-ho kind of intertwined with that story and just was so great and so different. I really love that movie. I still need to buy it. I still need to rewatch it. Like I love Parasite so much is almost of the same category as Moonlight, but um, Moonlight is still, for me, the best film of the 2010s, and Parasite is, like, right there with it. So for you, at least, Johnny, like, as a last going-off question, what is, like, one project or one film that you've seen this year that you're... I mean, just recently in the last couple of years that you say was the best film that you would recommend people to go see?
0: I mean, I definitely echo your, your sentiments on Parasite. That was a very special experience last year, last September, seeing that, uh, closing night at, uh, fantastic. Fest. You did see it at
1: fantastic. Fest.
0: Cause it. It, it was literally parasite with Bong Jun ho And we all took a photo with him with the little black bars over our eyes. And then we exited the theater and then we did like a ceremony dedicating the South Lamar draft house and basically renaming it, uh, the Bong Joon-ho uh, theater and all having a shot of Shoju. And as like yeah. a Korean American, you know, that was really awesome. And I, I, after seeing that, I was like, man, I really hope this deserves to get nominated and I, ho- I hope it wins Best Foreign Picture. And then for it to, you know, win Best Picture was huge. Yes. Uh, because there there was another Korean film a couple years ago called Burning that after seeing that i was like this might be south korea's first ever nominee for best foreign film and it didn't even get nominated for best foreign film and then for parasite to get korea's first nomination for best foreign film and then not only win that but then been win best picture overall it was huge for as as like i said as being korean um, but i w- i would say to to separate from parasite it was probably the vast of night uh, okay Right. Last year in New Orleans in this rinky-dink theater at Overlook Festival, the last the last day, of, and this is just a weekend uh, festival, so it's only four days. So Brett and I, I, I told Brett the second to last day, I was like, I'm hearing some buzz about this film called The Vast of Night because we didn't have it on our radar. And I was like, I'm hearing some buzz about it uh, from people who have seen it uh, at the festival already. So we went and saw it the final day, and afterwards we were just like, "What a freaking talent that director is! Like he is gonna get work so quick." And yeah. we were like, "And knowing how little he made that movie for, and seeing the type of shots he did with so, so little money, beautiful, yes." And, and, agree. It, and then learning it was filmed in Whitney, Texas, of all places, where which is where my <laughs> my aunt lives and i was like wow this is this is insane like i was like i i guarantee someone's gonna buy this you know it might be a smaller company but they're it's gonna get picked up and sure enough a few months later we hear amazon buys it and we were like holy crap amazon bought it and then fantastic fest was like we're gonna show this and brett and i were like hey we already saw this that's really freaking <laughs> awesome that this little overlooks fairly small still like it was only in its yeah that, that was only like the third year or fourth year overlook oh, wow. existed. because it yeah it hasn't been around that long and so for them to get that show it and then it get picked up by a big studio and i guarantee you his next film if it's not already um if he's not already already attached to something, which I don't think he is.
1: No, I haven't seen anything.
0: I think, yeah, there's, there's a good chance that, you know, we'll, we'll be seeing a lot more of Andrew Peterson in the future because vast of night. I mean, I remember when it was coming out to Amazon, I was just telling people like, you need to watch the vast of night because it is chilling and it's extremely special when you let people know like how, freaking cheap it was and he made it look that good and feel like a moderate it's it's tough to say like try to compare this to something like a Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind but I mean that's the closest I can kind of think of to compare it to in terms of that feeling you give that awe that wonder but also a little bit creepy and it's, it's it was a very special experience especially you know at this little tiny festival and then the fact that oh it got picked up by a bigger festival and got picked up and bought by amazon and who knows like his next film might you know i hope it's somewhere in that like 20 to 30 million dollar range because i think that's what's special about directors like that is they're so creative that when you give them that tight budget they have to get even more creative, creative so yes i think that's one of the great things about denny villeneuve and that's why I think he, he works better with the smaller budgets. We'll see with Dune. But yeah, I'm really <laughs> looking forward to Andrew's next work after The Vast of Night.
1: Okay. And I was just going to say, if you're looking for it, as Johnny said, it's on Prime Video right now. It is If you have Amazon Prime, you can be able to watch The Vast of Night. I think I have that as like my top five movie of this year. Um, so yeah, I definitely would say it's really great of a watch. Like he said, it's... It has its awe, but it also has this creepy tension that you can get through certain of the performances, which, again, from a director who only got less than I mean, $700,000 for it, is something that's in awe. And I definitely recommend it. It was a very great movie, so I, I am going to star-studded approval. Like, if you want to see any new, new movie, go watch The Vast of the Night. But, Johnny, I just want to say, because our time is coming up to an end, thank you so much Um Thank you for this great conversation and realizing that, you know, even though we're 10 years apart, we still have kind of like almost the same kind of experience when it comes to film and realizing that Mm -hmm. even more. So I appreciate that even more. And I realized like why we always have almost the same kind of viewpoints on Manate Talk. So I love that. And on to that note, I know you have other podcasts that you're doing also, Johnny. So if you want to, you can definitely give your kids a shout out and talk about whatever else you have going on.
0: So, of course, we have a matinee talk, which drops every other Wednesday. Uh, Brett, who I spoke about earlier in the podcast, we started doing one called If the Armchair Fits, which is out pretty much everywhere now except for Google because they take forever. The first two episodes have already dropped. Uh, we bring in Julian. He he moderated the first episode with us. And then the third episode, which I believe will drop as of this recording Tuesday, I'm still working okay. on finishing editing on that. But uh, yeah, if the armchair fits, more of a free-flowing debate kind of show. And uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I've enjoyed the, the past couple episodes.
1: The two episodes where I was moderating and basically being a guest on, I would definitely say it was some very fun. I enjoyed both of them. Um, and i'm definitely going to put the link for either the second the latest episode on there and i'll definitely put the latest episode of manate talk if you guys want to listen more about how we talk about film and how much we appreciate it i think the next episode that we're going to have is going to be for devil all the time it Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) just listen to the podcast if you you want to hear how you feel about it yeah um but yeah all those will be on the link of this podcast but that's all the time we have, guys. Again, Johnny, thank you so much for coming, guys. Stay tuned. Um, there'll be another episode next week. But till then, guys, stay safe. See you next time.